loving Heavenly Father, you so loved the world that you sent your Son. And through Him, you did your work of showing who you really are and the way to know you now and forever. And you promise even in this passage to continue that work. So please do it tonight. Help us to understand what Jesus says in this part of the Bible. Teach us the way to you and the way to heaven. And please do the even greater work of bringing people to accept that way and believe in Jesus. And I ask in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. Well, does anyone remember that um, soccer team that got trapped in a cave in Thailand about five years ago? Does anyone know what I'm talking about there? Twelve boys, ages 11 to 16, their 25-year-old coach, they went deep into a cave. And when they turned to leave, they found that the way out had flooded. Turned out for kilometres. So they spent, first of all, nine days in the dark. They had torches, but apart from that, in the dark. No food and not one single sign of anyone on the outside world coming to get them. There's a, a show, a new show, I think, on Netflix called Thai Cave Rescue. Six parts. It's amazing. Well, I liked it. And there's this particular moment when after those nine days, a scuba diver suddenly comes out of the water. That's not an actual photo, that's from the show, but you can actually watch the video from the scuba diver took as, as they come out of the, the water and the boys realise they've been found. And they hear that there's this enormous rescue operation working to get them out. Now, can you imagine the difference that would make to know that you have a future beyond the cave. So that whether your time in the cave is, is good or hard, you know there's, there's life and light and beauty and love just waiting for you on the other side. That's actually what it's like to live as a Christian. You know that you have a future beyond this life so that whether your time in the cave of this life is good and we do live in a pretty nice part of the cave or whether it's hard and and actually many times it is hard, isn't it? No matter whether it's good or hard, you know there's something far better, life and light and beauty and love just waiting for you on the other side. I wonder if you've got that, that sense of comfort, that confidence. I wonder if you want it. I reckon most people have a sense that, yeah, there there probably is something after death, but it just seems hard to work out what that might look like, and so you hope for the best, and then you just kind of get on with this life. In this part of the Bible, Jesus says you actually can know for sure what's in store for you, and there's a way to make sure that it'll be the good place. He's like that scuba diver emerging from the water, bringing news of a world beyond this cave and news of an enormous rescue operation to get you there. And so you got the question we're going to look at tonight. What is the way to heaven? Here's how we'll answer it. Firstly, we're going to look at the context of this passage. Why is Jesus even talking about this? Because uh, we always want to make sure that we're not misreading the Bible, so we always make sure we're, we're reading it in context. And then we're going to see three things. Number one, the good future that Jesus promises. Number two, what's not the way there? And then thirdly, what is the way there? So what's the context? Now, this is the night before Jesus dies on the cross. 
And Jesus knows that's coming. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world. And he also knows exactly who he is. Chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God. And as Jesus eats this one last meal together with his 12 disciples, we find out, verse 11, he also knew which one of them would betray him that night. So that's where we got up to last week. We saw how Jesus, their their leader and Lord, started that meal by bending over to scrub their dirty feet clean as a picture of the way he was about to die to wash them spiritually clean. And so just so you know, as a church, what we do each week is we work our way through the Bible bit by bit because we don't want it to be our ideas like we've got anything to say. No, we want to know what the first followers of Jesus heard from him. And so this term, we're going through the book that John wrote, one of Jesus' disciples, his close friends, who was actually there at this meal that night and we get to see through his eyes, listen through his ears on a conversation between Jesus and his closest friends the night before. You know the feeling, the night before the HSC, the night before the job interview. This is nothing like that, is it? This is the night before he will refuse to deny himself, though he's innocent, and let himself be nailed to a cross and die. I don't know about you, I find when it's the night before something big, I tend to become quite self-focused. Jesus, in this whole passage, is strikingly focused on his disciples' good. All the way to the end, he spends his last night, chapter after chapter, we'll see as we go through over the next few weeks, teaching them and answering their questions. He wants to make sure that he's given them everything he can to prepare them for what's coming as he leaves them and goes to the cross. So these these chapters are called the Farewell Discourse. And what he comes back to again and again is the fact that he's going away and the reason why. Why does he do that? It's because it's, well, one reason is it's important that your expectations match reality. That's the case, isn't it? Here we've got some pictures. You know, you go to the, the restaurant and you order what you think will be a beefy burger and you get a sandwich. I can relate to some of these. Anyway, you, you really... Photos on the wall of a barbershop, me leaving the barbershop. You think they're professionals, right? Anyway, um, they always ask me what I want. I'm like, look, you do this all day. You, you tell me. Anyway, so your expectations have to match reality, otherwise there's big disappointment. And so what are the disciples expecting? They've followed this guy around for three years, they've seen the miracles, they've left everything, they realise they've found the Messiah, the King. What's the bet they're not expecting that the next day he'll be slaughtered like a criminal? And then even after he's miraculously raised from the dead, that he'll then go back to heaven for 2,000 years. And so he says, chapter 13, verse 19, I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am who I am. Now, it's not just expectation management. There's two other things he wants them to know. He wants them to know why he's going. This is not just a pointless abandonment. It achieves something, and we'll come back to that. And secondly, how 
he wants him to live while he's gone. And so that's what he starts to do right before the passage we had read for us. Chapter 13, verse 33, he says, I'm going away. So verse 34, he says, I want you to love each other. Classic Peter then, he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me stop you right there, Jesus. You're going? Nah, where? where? I'll go with you. Now, it's not the first time Jesus has told them this, right? But it seems like the penny's starting to drop and they're getting upset, as, as you would. And so there's the context. And that's why you come to the part that we had read for us, chapter 14, verse 1. That's why Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, it's not meant to be taken as a command. You know, like if you're a follower of Jesus and you let your heart get a bit troubled, you've done the wrong thing. No, that's not what Jesus means. And one way you know that is because just the chapter before, it says that Jesus himself was troubled. Chapter 13, verse 21, it's the same word. Jesus was troubled. No, Jesus never sinned. And so it's not a sin to feel the weight of weighty things. He's not wagging his finger at them. He's encouraging them. Don't worry. You don't have to worry. And then he explains why. And the reason is the first thing we're going to see in Jesus' words here. Number one, the good future that Jesus offers. So look what Jesus says, verse 2. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. So what's he say there? Break it down, very simple. He's going away, then he's coming back to get them, and then he'll take them to a place called his father's house. So where's he going? Well, that's where the context helps, doesn't it? We know that from this point, he goes to the cross, and he dies, and he's buried. Then he's raised to life, and he's with them again for a few weeks, but before long, he leaves them again and goes to be with his father in heaven. And he promises that one day he will return to bring about Judgment Day, to raise his people from the dead and to live forever with him in the new creation in heaven. So that's what he means by going, that, that whole mission that's ahead of him, from dying on the cross to rising, going to the Father until he comes back, that's what we're still waiting for as Christians. And I reckon that gives you the clue, what does he mean by his Father's house? It's the place that he will come back from to then take us to. He's giving us a picture of, of heaven. The Bible gives lots of different pictures of heaven. The new creation, a new universe, rock solid and perfect. A wedding reception, a party, a feast. And here, Jesus says it's a, a family home. Warmth, love, belonging. My father's house. Now, why would it be a comfort for them to hear that it has many rooms? Do you see that in verse 2? He's telling his followers... You won't miss out. There's plenty of space. You know, some religions say that space is limited. Only the top, what is it, 144,000 get to be in the inner circle with God. And that's not what Jesus says, is it? It's not some go to be in the house with God, but then the rest get the granny flat, the second class citizens out the back. My father's house itself has many rooms. There's plenty of room for you. Now, what does that say about God? He wants you there. He's not a cold and distant God looking for an excuse to keep you out. He's a welcoming God who wants you to be in heaven with him because he made you and he loves you. In fact, he doesn't just want it, he prepares. Verse 2 again, 
Jesus says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. When those um, divers found the boys in the cave, they filmed it. As I said, you can watch it on YouTube. The happiness of both the boys and the rescuers as they see each other for the first time. But after a few little while, the boys start to, to panic because the divers start to walk back into the water. So they explain, one of the boys can speak some English, they explain there's actually a lot that needs to be done to get you out. For you to walk out alive, we've got to go, but we'll be back. That's what Jesus is saying here, isn't it? The whole reason I'm going away is because there's something that's got to be done for you to join me in heaven. And we'll come to what that is. There's a problem that needs to be solved. There's a problem between us and God because of our sin. There's a punishment that must be paid. And so Jesus says, I'm going to the cross to do what you can't, to take your sin on myself, face the punishment that you deserve instead of you so you can walk free. Back to God, back to heaven. We'll come back to that because it's so important. But for now, just notice the good future that Jesus promises. Why do you think he says that to them? What's he trying to do for his disciples as he tells them this? Confidence. He wants his followers to have confidence about their future. Not just guessing, not just wishful thinking. Some people say, even some religions teach that you cannot know for sure if you'll go to heaven. Some religions would say, if you say you know for sure, that's a a heresy, that's a no-no. But Jesus says this to his followers because he wants them to know for sure. There's space. I'm getting it ready for you. When I come back, I will take you to be with me. What a promise. It is possible to know for sure where you're going. Verse 4, Jesus even says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And I quite like the disciple Thomas, verse 5. Thomas is the one with the guts to to put his doubts into words. Verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus shoots him down. No, he he answers his question. So here we go. What's the way to heaven? Verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way. I am. Jesus is the way to heaven. And it's critical to understand what Jesus does not mean here. So point number two, what's not the way? He's not saying he shows us the way. It's not that he teaches us the way that we should live if we want to get in. Lots of people think that. He came to to tell us to be good. And if we follow his ways, then we can get in. That's not what he's saying. Because the problem is that would actually make me the answer. You the answer. Sure, yeah, Jesus lays out the path but I'm the one who does it. So I'm going to call that the the me way. And I reckon most Aussies, deep down, have a version of the me way. I reckon I'll get in because I've been a good bloke. I actually don't think that, but that's what a lot of people think. I reckon I'll get in because I've been a good bloke, because I've done, because I. At the end of the day, I'm trusting in me. In fact, every religion in the world is a variation on the me way. It's me following the way Buddha taught, the Eightfold Path. It's me following Muhammad's teachings about submitting to Allah and doing righteous deeds. Jesus doesn't say that. In fact, he says the opposite. Look again at verse 6. He makes a far bigger claim than any other religious leader does. Not, I will show you the way. I am the way. 
That's crazy talk. Imagine if I stood here and said, I am the way to heaven. A man named C.S. Lewis said that when you see what Jesus actually said, you know the one thing you can't say about him? You can't say he's a good teacher, just, just a good teacher. He's either out of his mind and like evil or it's true. There's no other option, is there? And everything else he says is so insightful and his conduct is so beautiful. He just, he can't be out of his mind. So let me show you why it's true. We can't do it the me way. We're just not as good as we think we are. We'll never measure up to the standard. That's one way I think God's been kind to me. I've never had any trouble believing I'm a sinner. There's just too much evidence of my sin. Now, if, if you only compare yourself to other sinners, which is our experience bumping around the world day to day, you could convince yourself you're not that bad. But Jesus is like the mature age student. Did you ever have one of them in your uni class? You think you're doing well. I mean, you've hardly done any of the readings. But you've done more than they did. It's too much. No one could possibly read all of that. But then down the front, with their binder, the mature age student who's got three kids and a full-time job, somehow they've done every single one of them. And it just turns out I'm a slacker. Jesus is the mature age student. His life and his teachings show what a life would look like without sin. And as you see it, you realise we fall far short. Just one example. Chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus teaches, A new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. How do you measure up? Love one another? You think, sure. Wait a second. What kind of love? Jesus says, as I've loved you. Love the way Jesus loved. Not just warm fuzzies and maybe the occasional kind deed. What did love look like for Jesus? He put others first every single moment without fail until ultimately he laid down his life for them. Which wasn't some spur of the moment heroic thing He came into the world for that very reason and walked towards it every step of the way. And he did it for those who least deserved it. The ones who rejected, denied, killed him. That's what a life without sin would look like. And the clearer you see it, the more you realise just how far short we each fall. Because we're selfish. The Bible's words are, we have a sinful nature. You don't need to teach kids to be selfish. It just comes naturally to them. I'm a bit surprised by my kids being selfish, but I shouldn't be. This afternoon, I overheard my wife say to one of them, why did you pull your sister's hair? She said, I was being nice to her. (laughs) Reality distortion, eh? 
Now, if you're, if you're not convinced that you can't do it, just try it for one day. Try to go one day without a single selfish action or word or thought. But worse, sin is not just against our neighbour. It's against God, the God who made us and gave the command. That's actually what makes sin so serious because ultimately it's against him. I'll give you an illustration. I stole this from, I think, Dave Jensen. If you're, if you're playing footy and you punch another player, what, do you, what happens? You probably get sent off. But if the ref comes over and you punch the ref, now security or the police will come. So what if you punch the police? Well, then you, you've got to go to court. And if at that point you walk up to the magistrate... What is it that makes that more serious? It's the importance of the person, the authority. Well, our sin, your sin, my sin, is against the God of the universe. God is a just God who punishes evil. In fact, if he ignored evil, that would be evil for him to do. And so the Bible says we are actually storing up punishment for ourselves. That's the problem. There's a punishment that must be faced. Washing a river, light some incense, pray certain special prayers. That's like hoping to get out of a 20-year jail term by taking a shower. It doesn't really touch the problem. And, and we can't work it off because we're too sinful to go even one day without adding to the punishment that we deserve. Now, how's that for a cold, hard dose of reality? Welcome to church. But we need to hear it, or we will never let go of the me way. It doesn't work, we can't do it, and it actually doesn't deal with the real problem, the punishment. Come back to the Thai cave. They tried to get themselves out, as of course you would, nine days in the dark. The coach tries to swim out with a rope, and he almost drowns. Now, from the inside, they had no idea how far short he'd, he'd fallen, how... how they had no idea the real scale of the problem. As the rescuers studied the cave, they realised it would take three hours of underwater swimming through narrow winding tunnels full of mud. There's just no way you could swim out. So they tried to dig up, as you would. They made it an impressive four metres. Problem is, it wasn't the 800 metres required. Even the rescuers weren't able to drill down from above. And so maybe you can swim a little further than the next person, dig a little deeper than the next person. That's not the same thing as being able to make it. Jesus sees the real size of the problem and he loves us enough to say that's not the way. You've got to let go of the me way. And that's actually the biggest struggle, you know, for most people to become a Christian is actually to let Jesus be the saviour because we're like Peter the disciple at the end of chapter 13 who says verse 37 Lord why can't I follow you I'll lay down my life for you I just love it he's so impressed by Jesus he he thinks I'll do anything for this guy and that's that's charming isn't it but 
The problem is, Jesus actually knows the future. He knows what will happen. Verse 38, Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And that's what happens. As Jesus courageously walks towards his death, Peter loses his cool and denies even knowing Jesus three times in one night. Peter overrates himself, just like we do. And he actually gets it exactly backwards, doesn't he? I'll die for you. No, Peter, you'll fail me, which is why I'm dying for you. And listen, it's at this exact moment when Jesus says to him, I know you will fail me, that he promises him, and I've got a place for you in heaven. They're the very next words out of his mouth, the very next verses. Isn't that beautiful? That is Christianity. To the exact people that Jesus knows will fail him, he promises heaven. Brothers and sisters, if you have come to Jesus, he knows all the ways that you have failed him already and all the ways that you will fail him in the future. And he still says, I will take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. How can that be? It's because the way is not about you at all. It's not the me way. Third point, we'll finish with this. Jesus is the way. Bit corny, isn't it? Not the me way, the he way. Maybe it's memorable, I don't know. Jesus is the way. Verse 6, he says, I am the way. Now, how? How is he the way? Well, he's already told us, verse 2 and 3, it's the reason he's going. The reason is, the, the reason that he'll die on the cross in a few hours is to prepare a place for you, to make it possible for you to be there. You see, we saw the problem, there's a punishment that needs to be paid. Jesus died to pay it. God so loves the world that he sent his son, who so loves the world that he wanted to come and God takes our sins and puts them onto Jesus and punishes him instead of us. So that the debt is paid and we can walk free. That is how Jesus makes it possible for you to be in heaven, even though he knows you have and will fail him. That is why he says, I am the way... And that's why there's no other way. Verse 6 again, Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me be clear at the risk of being offensive. He is saying no other religion is true religion. No other religion gets you to God. The Islamic faith will not get anybody to heaven. The Buddhist faith will not get anybody to heaven. The Hindu faith will not save anybody. Wrong versions of Christianity that twist the Bible will not save anybody. Now, I've possibly just said the most offensive thing you could say in our culture. No other religion gets you to God or heaven. But if it's true, it's just a fact. And it would be unloving not to say it. Do you know how the uh, the Thai cave rescue ended? Don't spoil it if you know. They tried everything. Water pumps, 
tunnelling in, nothing worked. They even thought of trying to teach them to scuba dive, but they can't swim. And the passages are so tight, only experts can do it. And the, the boys can't even wear the scuba gear without panicking and ripping it off. There's an 11-year-old. Yeah. They worked out they only had one option. They had to swim them out, but to stop them panicking and ripping off the scuba mask, they would use anaesthetic to knock them unconscious. They would tie their hands so that if they did wake up, they couldn't rip off their mask. And I think it's the case, there's only one scuba diving anaesthetist in the whole world, a guy called Richard Harris, he's an Australian, and they all made it out. Amazing. Can you imagine letting someone knock you unconscious, tie you up and drag you unconscious for three hours underwater? Some of them were a bit hesitant. (laughs) Now, if Richard Harris said, you need to understand, this is the only way out. No one gets home except through me. Do you get angry with him and say, but that's so exclusive. How dare you? No, you say that's loving. They need to know it because there is no other way. They need to know it so they'll choose it. In fact, the right response is, thank you for taking the risk to come and be here and thank you that there even is a way. Jesus here has the love to say to us, don't you realise I'm doing this because there is no other way? Why would I go to the cross if all you need to do is be good enough or wash in a river? No, we need someone who can live the perfect life so that they don't have their own punishment that they need to pay and someone who can pay the punishment not just for one other person but for billions And there's only one life worth enough to pay that kind of price. God himself. Jesus can do this because he's not just a human, he's God become a man. Look who Jesus says he is, verse 7. If you know me, you know my Father as well. Verse 8, Philip says, show us the Father. Verse 9, Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you such a long time, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Wow. When you see Jesus, you see God himself. Verse 10, he continues, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Now, it's weird language. But again, see how closely Jesus links himself to God the Father. In fact, it's everywhere. Verse 2, you believe in God, believe also in me. That's a big claim. He's putting himself on par with God. Now, this has been called the Trinity. Have you heard of the Trinity? We're getting into some deep water here. So I thought I'd see if chat GPT could explain it to us. <laughs> Who's played with chat GPT? Who's not played with chat GPT? Oh, what are you doing? Anyone who's played with chat GPT knows this is a risk because chat GPT will confidently lie to you. 
It will just confidently tell you stuff that is completely wrong. So I'm not recommending this. Hear me? I'm not recommending this as a way to answer your questions about God. But this time, it actually did a very good job. The Trinity refers to the Christian doctrine of the nature of God, which teaches that God exists as three distinct but inseparable persons, the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. This doctrine is central to the Christian faith and is a fundamental belief of most Christian denominations. According to this doctrine, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are each fully God, possessing all the attributes of deity, including omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence. Yet they're not three gods, but one God in three persons, United in essence, but distinct in personhood. The Father is the first person. This is very good. The Father is the first person of the Trinity, the source of all creation, and the one who sent his Son into the world to redeem humanity. The Son, also known as Jesus Christ, is the second person of the Trinity, who became human, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to pay for humanity's sins, and was raised from the dead on the third day. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who dwells within believers, empowering them to live a godly life and guiding them in their understanding of God's will. The Trinity is a mystery that cannot be fully comprehended by human minds, but it is essential to the Christian faith as it reflects the nature of God as revealed in the Bible. It teaches us that God is not a distant, impersonal force, but a loving and personal God who desires to have a relationship with us. <laughs> That's, uh, that's extraordinary. Boil it down. Now, I'm not trusting Chat DBT there, but he, he got it right. He, she, whatever. Uh, there's one God who exists in three persons. Father is God, the Son is God, not one third of God, fully God, and the Spirit is God. And it's hard to wrap your head around. I mean, it's, it's very confusing. It's so hard, no one would have made it up. If the Bible had a God that I could easily wrap my mind around, then I'd think we'd made it up. I can't even make sense of this world that is made. And so I would expect that my tiny mind would struggle to comprehend the infinite God who made it. You'd never make this up. It's just what God has told us about himself and revealed it in Jesus. And it's a beautiful truth. You know why? Because it means that at the heart of everything... It's not cold, brute forces of nature, it's relationship. Father, Son and Spirit in loving relationship. That's why you and I, we crave relationship. We're made in the image of a relational God, made ultimately to share in that relationship in the Father's house. And that's why Jesus really is the way, the truth and the life, verse 6. He's the one who made us and gave us life. The one who came back to life from the dead, proving his power to give us eternal life. But he's able to do all those things because he actually is life itself. This morning someone saw me with a surfboard and they said, are you the surfer? No, they said it differently. They said, are you the surfer? I was like, I don't even know what that means. The surfer. The surfer. I'm hardly even a surfer. But Jesus really is the life. 
God, the source of all life, the only one who exists without needing anybody else, the fountain of being, everything else that exists flows from his powerful life, which is why Jesus is also the truth. He really is. He doesn't just teach truth. He is the truth. He's God, the deepest reality there is, the fundamental fact of reality. Jesus is the truth of the universe. Jesus is why it exists. He's the key to understanding it. This image, it's not that he's a character that's entered into the world. He's the world and we exist in him. Not he's the world. Problems with that. But it means when you come to Jesus, you find the truth. The truth about God, the truth about life. You have found the truth. And yet this is the one who would die, who would choose to die for you. Do you see why he's able to take that punishment in a way nobody else can? It's not God grabbing some innocent third party and throwing them under the bus for you. It's actually God himself in Jesus, the very one that we sinned against. The one who ought to punish us, choosing instead to take that punishment onto himself. It had to be a human, because humans sinned, but the price tag was so big that only God could pay it. And so God became a human to make a way, because there is no other possible way. So let me ask you, have you found the way? The way to God, the way to heaven. How do you do that? Well, first, you have to let go of the me way, I can't do it. I have failed and I will fail. And you entrust yourself to Jesus to get you there. Verse 1. You believe in God, believe also in me. You believe in Jesus. That's it. It really is that simple. You believe him when he says he's the way to heaven. Like the kids in that Thai cave, they simply had to let the cave diving anaesthetist do it. Even if they, if they simply tried to help, that would actually make it far worse. They just had to let him do it. Number one, you believe him when he says he's the way to heaven. And two, you believe him when he says he's God the Son, the truth. And so you let him be your God. You live with him in charge. Chapter 14, verse 15, he says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not as a way to get to heaven, you're already in. It's just what happens when you believe in Jesus. You believe what he says and you try to do it. Not perfectly, you will fail. Luckily, he's the way, not you. But there is this profound change. You believe in him and now he's your God, which means he's in charge, not you. And that leads to a life of love. Chapter 13, verse 34, As I've loved you... So, you must love one another. Verse 35, that's how people will know you are really his disciples. Gee, I wish I had time to tell you some stories. Um, Christians through history. It's one of the reasons, actually, that Christianity spread so quickly. Um, Just one example. A plague came through ancient Rome, killing, as far as we can tell, about 5,000 people a day. And most who could left to avoid the disease. But many Christians stayed to care for the sick. 
and lots of them died. But they said, well, they died actually quite cheerfully because they said, I know I'll be in heaven, but they haven't heard yet. That's love, isn't it? Not to earn heaven, but because it's been given. Have you believed in Jesus as your way to heaven, your God? You can do that even right now. You can do it driving home, in your bed tonight. Talk to him. If you need no more, come back. Come over Easter. Do explaining Christianity next time that's on. Learn about the evidence. But if you have done that, or if you do do it tonight, be encouraged. You have found the way and the truth and life. The only way there is. And so don't stop believing in him. Love one another and get the message out. Eh? Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that your father's house has many rooms. Thank you that you went there to prepare a place for us. Thank you for your promise to come back and take us to be with you. We want to be with you forever. We believe in you. So help us to live for you, lives of love, and bring many to know you as the way to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.